Like our friends only want to talk business. I got expensive, because when is expensive. I got expensive, because when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. I've been shutting down the stars. Hey, welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill here with Richie Daigle. And we're going to talk about freight sales today. Looking forward to it. I know. We have Ben Kowalski uh, coming in uh, to talk about, uh, about, well, about sales, but how to build a sustainable book of business and freight. Get right? it started. You know? I know. It's a marathon. Yeah. And, and you have to uh, have a plan. You have to train. And you have to know what you're after. You know, where's the finish line? What are you trying to achieve? Do you need to be sprinting? Do you need to be uh, planning for the long haul? It's like the Tour de France. Yeah, it's an exciting some of it's time. A, some of it's a long stretch, and then you get to a finish line, many finish lines, right, throughout the Tour de France. There are. And every time you get to close to the finish line, you got to sprint. Yeah, and in some, some uh, stage, and I'm a big cycling fan, right? So, like, you know, with, with sports baseball and cycling. Mm -hmm. So this is an exciting time of year for me because there's all kinds of great cycling races going on. The Tour de France is one of them. Um, but yeah, some stages like today's stage are flat and they have sprint finishes and other stages are at the tops of mountains and you yeah. have uh, mountaintop finishes. And you have to know who you are, what your skill set is. Are you a sprinter? Are you a climber? What's the stage? Are you in contention to win this stage? You don't want to be trying to sprint up a mountain it's just not going to work. <laughs> well, I, sometimes it works, doesn't it? Sprinting uh, up a mountain. Physics says that sprinters won't ever win a stage on a mountaintop. Really? So, yeah. If you're a sprinter and you're in contention for the green jersey, there's no chances. Just physics, like the way their, their bodies are built, they can't ever win a climbing stage. And that's why you have all the different jerseys. Mm -hmm. You have the polka dot, the green, the yellow. Um, so yeah, you have to know what race you're in, what role you're playing on the team that day. Are you in contention to win or do you need to be a team player? Um, like in basketball, do you need to be shooting or do you need to be passing? No, that's exactly right. Should it be three passes to then a shot or two passes then a shot? I mean, what, what are you doing, right? Yep. I, I do know that the ice road, right? So, so Dooner and, and, and the dude got me to, to watch ice road because I knew they were going to talk about it all day yesterday. They did a whole, <laughs> put the truck on it. So I sat there Sunday night and I watched ice road because I, I didn't want to miss out on the conversation. Uh, I, I don't think I'd give it an A like they do, but it was, it was, it was a good B movie. Right, especially for, for Netflix, but the, the bad guy gets thrown to the bottom of the mountain, and I guess he just sprints right up to the top and explodes dynamite in, in, in one scene. I mean, he made it to the top of the mountain. He must have been sprinting. That's the reason why I, I thought maybe sometimes you can sprint, but I guess if you're a character in Ice Road, then you can. <laughs> That's the great thing about movies is you can kind of make up the rules as you go. You can, you can definitely. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about surge transportation. Surge Transportation is the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. Um, but yeah, we, we have another Richie Dangle quote, don't we, for, for this episode. What you got? Which one, where are you at? Being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I think is is paramount to success, whether it's in yeah. cycling, training, or even sales. You know, a lot of 
the, the insecurity and uncomfortability in a sales role is dealing with uncertainty. It's not necessarily the nose. The nose sting a little bit, but at least you know where that, where that person stands. But when you're in limbo, when you're figuring things out, you haven't heard a yes, you haven't heard a no, you're still navigating and getting to uh, you know, drive that value. And, and you're in that, that kind of dead period where you're waiting. Um, and a lot of times that happens with larger kind of enterprise deals you can feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I think if you can learn to develop a way to become comfortable in those types of situations, in any situation really, that tends to bring about some uncomfortability, then um, you're, you're setting yourself up for success, really. Um, it, it's a theory I have, so. Yeah, you are, and especially in enterprise sales. Uh, or, or if you're doing RFPs or bids, you know, those annual contracts, uh, which are, enterprise deals for, for freight, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of dead time where you don't, you can't peer behind that curtain. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the curtain of decision makers on the other end. So it, you, you just live your life in a lot of uncertainty and it's hard to get away from, uh, but there's good ways to deal with that uncertainty. It's foundations, you know, prospecting, uh, filling that pipeline, uh, hitting those value marks, creating value whenever you can. It takes away those, uh, those bits of uncertainty and of course filling the sales pipeline you always have something else uh, to occupy your mind so you don't fixate on on that uncertainty because that does rattle you yeah and you know there's I, I think about a healthy way to tackle that in an unhealthy way and you know unhealthy is I freak out and then that insecurity gets the best of me and I want that certainty and so I'm gonna bug this person until they tell me no. And then I'll be like, well, I got my certainty, right? <laughs> but it's not. It is, cry, die, or buy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but that's, what are you achieving? All you're doing there is looking to solve your own insecurities. You're not thinking about putting your prospect's interest ahead of your own. And I think I, that's where you get into the healthy way is again, thinking about your prospect as the hero of the story what can I do to drive value? How can I continue mm -hmm. to provide value? How can I prove and manage expectations and that along the sales cycle, this is a, a good thing for our organization? Well, we're sitting here talking about our unpredictability or anxiety, uh, but on the other end, there's just as much anxiety, just uh, enough uh, you know, unpredictability or, or unknowns for your prospect uh, or your customer about whether they should make the decision or not. You know, they have a lot of anxiety uh, built into that, too. So if you think about that anxiety and try to solve that anxiety, that sells. Yeah. Any, anytime I feel anxious, I try to just put a, put a stop to it and say, what is the other party feeling? Yeah. What's, what's going on? What, what could be happening on the other side of the curtain? And how can I help them? What do I know about them? What do I know about the product that I have? And, and what, what, what can we do to, to show value? provide value all the way around. Yeah, so Chris Tripp here, uh, Project Delivery Manager at Couriers Dispatch says hello. Thanks for watching, uh, Chris. And let's dive into something that uh, I, I read in The Economist uh, the, this week, and it's the what, what they're coming up with, a lot of media companies and media analysts are coming up with, is the attention recession. The coming attention recession, we've all lived our lives uh, kind of bottled up to a certain extent over the last year or so, and we are now actually getting out and seeing people in person again. We are getting outside and enjoying, you know, going around town maybe, 
uh, shopping, um, just getting out and mingling, traveling, hotels, and we're spending less time at home cooped up with our devices, really. I mean, whether it's video or social media or audio, we are turning back to nature, I suppose, the, the great outdoors, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, I'm as guilty as it can be here. You know, like uh, audio books and podcasts have just been chewing them up over the past year, yeah. uh, probably more so than, than any other time I can think of. But um, what have I not been doing? Well, I, I, the first time in years, I've not been out of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've not been traveling much. I've not been going to bars. I've not been, well, I've been to a minor league baseball game, but I've not been to a, 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 a big baseball game mm-hmm. this year, right? So sporting events, can't, you know, concerts, these types of things, experiential sort of things mm-hmm. aren't, aren't happening as much. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of, of what's happening and you're getting experiences that are coming back online. Uh, and at the same time, people are diverting their attention to that. And now there's only so many hours in a day. So I don't, I'm not going to listen to as many audiobooks. I know. I know. I'm not going to watch uh, as many movies like Ice Road uh, <laughs> sitting at home. Uh, but your guy, Adam Grant, he had a, a great tweet about that, uh, that that we'll throw up right here. And he's saying your scarce resource is not your time. It's your attention. Your best work flows from paying undivided attention to the projects that matter to you. Your deepest connections come from listening with rapt attention to the people who matter to you. What do you think about that, Richie? Uh, there's so much wisdom in that. And I'm a, a huge fan of Adam Grant and you know his podcasts and a lot of his books. And I think he's a really important voice, uh, especially in, in today's business world. But I think he's absolutely right. You know, a lot of, a lot of people say, oh, your scarcest resource is time. Uh, and that's kind of true. But when you start really drilling into it, it's your awareness. Like, what are you doing with your awareness? Uh, you know, if you want to find out, and he talked about this in, in, in the past as well, if you want to know what really matters to you, what are your values? What are your goals? Where are you going? Be aware of where you put your awareness. What are you paying attention to? Uh, and I think a lot can be gleaned from that, uh, especially in today's age. Yeah, you, you are what you eat. You are what you think. You are what you pay attention to, right? You are what you basically consume, uh, whether that's you know physical or intangible things. I mean, you are your thoughts and beliefs. Yeah, they say more about you than your thoughts and beliefs say about themselves. Yeah, I, I, I think that whatever you think about, um, whatever your thoughts and beliefs are, probably from a psychoanalytic standpoint, would say more about you than they do about reality or, or objectively those those things that you think and believe. But um, that's a whole nother You know what, the past year of the pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> the, the past year of the pandemic, you know what it said to a lot of people, what they focused on, uh, according to the Economist uh, article here and Levi Strauss, the number of people who are in a, in a new size is pretty staggering. Chip Berg, the head of Levi Strauss, admitted earlier this month, after more than a year of on and off lockdowns, the dinner maker told the Associate Press that a quarter of consumers no longer fit in their jeans. <laughs> it's almost, so, so a lot of people uh, paid attention to food. Yeah, it's like we've been hibernating for a year. I know. <laughs> like we're bears walking out of a cave <laughs> after an annual hibernation going, what's going on? <laughs> so. What has the world changed? And we can see what, what we were consuming during that lockdown with our next slide here from Media. It's a consulting firm that consults media companies. 
And it's a nice circle graph here. And the inside circle is the time we did spend in, I believe, March of 2020 compared to December of 2020, or let's say the first quarter to the fourth quarter of 2020. This, this is UK, Australia, and the United States a survey that they did. And we can see that a lot of us sat around watching Netflix, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the audio is, is a little interesting if you dive deep into the article, is that we listen to more audio but a, a larger percentage of that, there was large percentage gains in podcasts. So podcasts outgrew music during that time. So, you know, that, that's an encouraging sign, really, because yeah. a lot of podcasts or audiobooks, um, they, you know, it's, it's for your betterment, right? You know, it's directing your attention to something that is productive on for the most part. Oh, well, I think there's been a move, too, where there's this kind of, I'm going to use air quotes and say multitasking, you know, I, I might be doing a mundane task, mowing the grass, doing dishes, mm -hmm. I'm out walking the dogs, all these things around the house that I'm doing more frequently because I'm at home all the time. My house is cleaner than it's ever been, you know, vacuuming yeah, yeah. every day, whatever it may be, but I can throw in earbuds and listen to a podcast. And while I'm doing whatever that you know, menial task is, is kind of mindless, I can be ingesting some sort of information and knowledge and uh, with more and more information readily available on the internet today than ever before ever, um, it's really easy to do that. And, and, and the, the, the thought, the big question is, when I start going to the bar again, <laughs> or when I start going out, what's that, am I still gonna be listening to podcasts and audiobooks at the same clip that I am today? I wonder, you know, I, more drive time now, though. So more drive time. You switch over to the your, your podcast as, as you're driving back to the office, back back to work. Uh, it's it's it probably works. Your multitasking probably works better than mine because I'm, I'm watching a movie and listening to a podcast at the same time. It doesn't really work out. I don't know how you do that. I, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I tried it a couple times. I, I just can't do it. Um, but, but here's what media says uh, in, in the Economist. As the amount of spare time at home starts to shrink, the attention boom of 2020 is giving way to what Mark Mulligan at Media Research, a firm analyst, dubs an attention recession. The squeeze on free time means that media companies are now all asking the same question, says Brennan Brady of Antenna, a firm that measures video streaming subscriptions. Is this now a period of stability or are we going to fall off a cliff? So that's a question that, that will be answered uh, pretty soon, and they have a really nice, uh, you know, consumer attention graph uh, that we'll throw up right here. And what it is is peak attention. The peak consumer attention uh, was reached probably during the pandemic, as we are all home, as we we said, watching videos and uh, podcasting, music, and now that we're going to get back out to, to 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 bars and baseball games and and restaurants and, and airplanes and airports and hotels is probably going to diminish quite a bit. And that, I guess, the, the analog form of entertainment will be on the rise again. Yeah, you know, there's, be out biking. there's all this disruption that's happening. I guess happened. they were doing that during the <laughs> pandemic, but. It, it kind of almost mirrors what's happening in transportation, right? You know, you had this big movement from people spending money on travel and on going to bars and going to concerts and all these things to spending their money on things and buying, you know, the latest widget or whatever new home appliance or 
I'm going to go buy some fancy earbuds, right? And so you start buying more goods and we've seen personal consumption go through the roof. And it's the same thing with people. It kind of mirrors what's happening with time, right? Like instead of spending time on uh, all of these experiential type things like concerts and games and all that, you're, you're spending your time inside taking in some sort of media, whether it's Netflix or podcasts or music or, or mm -hmm. what have you. And so now it's the same big question that in the transportation world is, is there for the media world as well, is what happens as we transition back to pre-COVID or normality or as people start going back to services? Like what, what's, what, what are we going to do? I, I think that's a trillion dollar question right now. Yeah. I, I think it is. I, I think that's what uh, all financial forecasts, economic forecasts, trucking forecasts are, are hinging on is what's going to happen when we, we start doing that. Does that mean that consumption you know, of tangible goods, of freight goods is going to go down or level out? I don't know, but we're going to find out in the second half of the year. Yeah, it's almost like we're all in the same position as that salesperson that's kind of in limbo and doesn't have a yes or no. Yeah, exactly right. We are all in limbo, the entire society here. So Daryl at DM Transports, I love logistics. Uh, Keona Carter, facts. And then John Piper down in DFW. Good Tuesday afternoon, people. And uh, so, yeah, good chat board going on on, on LinkedIn. Let, let's talk about sales. Let's talk about building a sustainable book of business, taking that for unpredictability and out of the equation as much as possible and gearing up to, to, to really do that. So um, I, I think we have a, a LinkedIn post here um, of, uh, of a bike, right? Yeah, bike yeah. tweet. Sorry, a tweet. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, the Tour de France is happening and, and Again, I'm a huge cycling fan. So, you know, what's also going on right now is a number of these big epic races. You know, you have the Race Across America, which is fully supported. Uh, you have the Great Divide race from Canada to Mexico that's happening. That's all off-road. And then you have the Trans Am, which is a self-supported race from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic. And the winner of this year's Trans Am, uh, I believe he's 54 years old. Um, you know, the, the, this guy, Craig, who won? He beat all of these young guys. He he showed up in Virginia ahead of the whole crew, and I just thought that was fantastic. I mean, to think about being a little bit older and and being able to come out and just whip everybody in the field. Um, but you know, in order to be self-supported, he's riding on his own. You know, he's riding twenty to twenty-two hours a day for almost three weeks, so he's sleeping just a, a few hours a day. He's, mm -hmm. he's getting t over 200 miles a day. Um, there is the, you know, in order to achieve that, you have to become very comfortable with being very uncomfortable. And I, I kind of think there's some parallels there with sales, especially starting off is learning how to settle into this is this, whatever that uncomfortable part of life, if you have a clear goal, if you have a clear path of what you're trying to achieve, then, and I think what you're trying to achieve is more important than a goal because a goal stops, but you can achieve something constantly. That's an infinite sort of mindset. Then that is the motivation you need to kind of propel you and keep you going forward and to handle those, those uncomfortable moments as they come up and just take the moment as part of life and not try to run from. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, sometimes you, it's a marathon, sometimes it's a sprint. Uh, you know, when you're on the mound, were you a, a, a fast pitcher or a slow pitcher? As far as my velocity tempo. or, your, your or tempo. my tempo, I was slow. And, I, and that was something that I always struggled with. Yeah. You know, the clock thing that they have today would have been a, a big thing for me because I'm an overthinker. 
I was about know, to say, you're inside your own head. I'm always in my head, and it's a strength and a weakness all at the same time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I would be sitting there just calculating, and he did this, <laughs> and like I'm regurgitating the scouting report. Are you, and what you're probably I just doing did. stats and psychoanalyzing oh, is, everything, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I needed to just get up and say, I have a really good sinker, and good luck hitting it. And when I did that, I had more success, oddly enough. But yeah. Um, True. Yeah, you have to know what your skill set is, what your training is, what you're trying to achieve, and then go out and do it. You know? Yeah, I think we talked about this maybe three or four weeks ago, that, that unconscious, cautionance, mm-hmm. conscience, conscience, or like, conscious, conscious, unconscious, consciousness, and unconscious, yep. unconscious, right? The, the learning stages, right? Right, yep. And uh, if you start thinking about it, if you know how to do something, you start thinking about it, you screw yourself up every time. Yeah. And the same thing in cells, right? If you overthink cells, you're going to do that as well. Let me uh, talk about Thai, right? Mm-hmm. So Thai TMS is the ultimate domestic 3PL solution for LTL and full truckload freight. Thai gives you a centralized platform for sourcing load coverage by connecting you to load boards, rate intelligence, and capacity tools on a single page. With Thai, you can automate your LTL shipments from quote to delivery and all that way, all the way through your accounting process. If you are a freight broker or a 3PL trying to expand quickly, Thai offers unmatched speed and scalability. So you can go to Thai. It's, it's spelled T-A-I, and that's Thai TMS. Uh, check Thai out today. Absolutely. We're going to do sonar real quick, then we'll bring Ben on and talk about the five stages of small mm-hmm. business growth, which is the same as, you know, your own book of business, right? right? You are a small business. So well, let's, let's see what we're doing on, on sonar this week. Richie. Yeah. So um, there's a chart. I think we'll pull it up there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of disruption that's happening and, and there are markets that have kind of held certain characteristics over time that are showing different characteristics today due to all the disruption that's happening. And, uh, you know, one of those markets that I, I think is interesting is Seattle. And so this top chart up here up above in the blue line, you see import shipments that are coming into Seattle. And you can see that they've been somewhat elevated as of late. They've been trending down over the past you know, week or so. Um, but we have that bookings data set that kind of gives us a peek into what's to be expected in terms of volumes in the future. And we see that ticking up at a pretty dramatic way, uh, showing that there are a lot of TEUs that are currently being tendered to come into Seattle. In the bottom chart, we're just looking at outbound truckload volume. So um, you can see there have been some, you know, as import volumes have been somewhat elevated, they're in blue you are starting to see that impact the amount of freight that's leaving on trucks coming out of the Seattle market. Um, so it's definitely something that we'll be paying attention to. Um, you know, we have seen other ports on the West Coast like Oakland um, have, have definitely blown up as you know, the congestion is happening all in Southern California. Shippers are looking for other ports, ports of entry into the U.S. Um, and it, it certainly seems like Seattle may be uh, something's going on there. So it's definitely something to watch that we'll be keeping our eye on. But it's a great thing of having access to this information is that you can see these things start to play out and you can be proactive and and how you respond if you have operations in that area. You, you can. So so we did DHL uh, supply chain PPI and Andrew Cox and I did a couple carrier updates on it. I, I believe last week on, on Freight Waves Now, our, our morning show, our two-hour morning show here at Freight Waves TV. 
And you can tell from, from looking at the map, the 3D map, all the ports are the, the tightest markets. <laughs> and all the ports control, and you throw in Dallas and Chicago into the mix, I mean, that's, that's 25, 30% of all the freight moved in the US, especially on the van side, right? On, on the van side, that, that counts for 25 to 30% of all the freight moves. And as long as, as long as those markets are tight and freight's moving, capacity's uh, you know, trying to catch up, to, to get there on the trucking side, the freight market's gonna hump. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's gonna be like if, if and this is just my own thought, and I, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, but if, if there is a swing backwards, right? If, if there is a big swing and things loosen, it's gonna be a while before it hits transportation because there's such a backlog of freight sitting out in the ocean just waiting to get into okay. these ports. So it, it's a definitely interesting thing to keep an eye on. It, it is, and another thing to keep an eye on, uh, which, is, which is really the same thing, it's just another data point in that narrative, is inventory levels. Yeah, everyone's definitely. gonna be talking, everyone's really already started talking about inventory levels, but there is, as we go through the back half of 2021, People are going to talk about inventory levels, inventory levels, inventory levels. They'll never shut up about inventory levels uh, because, you know, they're at the, I won't say historic lows, but they're very low right now. Mm -hmm. You got to build that up. What's the consumer going to do as they're building up inventories? That's going to tell you if, if, we, run into, uh, if we run into trouble or not, right? Because if you're building up inventory as consumers uh, dip their spending, you're going to end up with, too, many, too much inventory, right? And if you're too much inventory, you start liquidating. And that, that's a, a tough spot to be in to as well. Uh, but let's uh, welcome uh, Ben Kowalski. Uh, he's the co-host and uh, freight, broker, freight Broker 360, uh, transportation consultant, business coach, and all around great guy. How are you doing today, Ben? Doing well, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. How are you guys doing this afternoon? We're doing great. We're doing good. I, I gave you a brief introduction there, probably not a very good one. So uh, why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about your background and freight and what you're up to right now? Yeah, um, it was close enough. Yeah. Name's Benjamin Kowalski, uh, founder and co-host of Freight360. We just launched a course Freight Broker Basics. So between the two, I think we were close enough with the intro. Um, I worked at uh, one of the larger brokerages for a handful of years on a lot of enterprise accounts. So sat in the seat, did the job, trained a lot of people while I worked in the industry, then went into consulting and coaching where I coach one-on-one -on -one to help freight brokers grow their business, their books of business, as well as helping owners of companies scale their businesses out with different processes and systems and different avenues and strategies. That's awesome. So you know, you're, you're training a lot of brokers, you know, a lot of, I would imagine people that are new to the industry and new to brokerage and you know, whenever somebody is coming to the table and new, there's probably a lot of uh, assumptions that they project onto that job. I think this is how it's going to be. I think this is what I'm expecting and so forth. Uh, and then the reality of that job may be different. So how do you prepare new brokers to make sure that their expectations for what the broker life is going to be are are in line with with what's likely to take place. Yeah, in line with reality. And I think <laughs> that's that's something you see across really every industry is that, you know, I think there's always this hope when you enter any new career that it's going to be easier than the last one and it's just going to be so much more profitable and less work. And everybody has these expectations every time they switch careers. 
But to your point, the reality of our industry is is much different. And I think one of the first things that, you know, my partner and I say, and we try to really beat this drum a lot is if you are entering any industry, specifically transportation is you either need to find a mentor or a coach that you trust or one of the first two things you should be doing. And then the next thing we do is really just point people in directions of resources similar to like our podcast, what you guys put out at FreightWaves to get insight into like what's actually going on, what people are doing, and really what a day in the life of a freight broker looks like. Because it is vastly different than what most people expect coming into it. It is vastly different. I, I can attest to that. You know, it is vastly different than, than what most people expect, especially if you're coming outside and you're going through a training program and you want to get on the phone and start moving freight. It's a little bit more complicated than uh, most people realize, number one, right? Yeah, and I think that's, and then, and I'll give you, I mean, this is from a recent group session that we did with a lot of folks is that, you know, we've gotten them, they've gotten their processes started. They're starting to get, you know, shippers that are sending them lanes. But then all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, wait a minute. Like they're giving us lanes, but the trucks don't want to run it for that. And they certainly don't want to run it for less than that. Like how in the world are we supposed to make money when they want to pay less than they're willing to do the work for? And we're supposed to live on the margin which is the whole second stage of this, right? Just like, you know, I think Richie pointed out earlier is that, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, I think is step one. You got to get used to being rejected. People are going to say no. But then you've got this whole other barrier of, well, once you've got people willing to work with you, how do you actually make money in this industry? And and, and brokers too, you, you just don't have your, your prospects. You just don't have one side telling you no all the time. You have two sides. So you get double the no's. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And then you might get a yes on one and then you get three no's on the other. And you're like, well, was I wrong by getting the first yes or do I need to prospect the other shipper? Right. And then you're in the, you're kind of literally caught in the middle trying to determine which is your best course of action. So so how how do you get going? It seems like this is, you know, if you're starting a brokerage and you're trying to get that snowball rolling where you can get some momentum and you get a good getting a good carrier base, getting a good portfolio of shippers. How do you how do you handle all of these difficulties early on to try to get things going in the right direction. One of the things that we try to focus on, and we put a good video out on this on LinkedIn for anybody looking, it's called prospecting with a purpose. We did a, a lunch and learn with the TIA on this concept. And it really is the one of the greatest things I think about our industry is the low barrier to entry. Like you can get into it be if you want to hustle and you want to build a living is the first thing. But the second thing I think most people neglect to do is it should be fun and it should be enjoyable. And I think the greatest thing about freight is the fact that literally any interest or hobby you have, it could be anything. You can find somebody that ships or is in that industry. And that's where I kind of point people their direction in the first place is prospect industries that you enjoy and you're passionate about because that will come across. Whether you're a Cincinnati Reds fan or you like going to classic rock you know, concerts, you can find a prospect or a customer that ships those things. And if you're servicing the industry you're already passionate about, that's 90% of the work right there. It really is. It really is finding those names, finding where you can exude your passion, you know, and and have a personality and have fun with it is definitely number one. So I went through Harvard Business Review I have an article here, The Five Stages of Small Business Growth. Ben, you work with a lot of uh, small brokers just uh, just starting out, um, coaching them on, on sales and business and industry. 
So it's five stages here. I am going to go through this, and, um, and maybe we can throw some timelines on here uh, about that, that process. And this works whether you're a small business, whether you're building your own book of business, which is nothing more than starting your own small business uh, with help from outside resources. But stage one is existence, right? Can you survive? Can you hang on long enough to survive? You know, is what products or services that you have, is that... Uh, is there a market for that? Is there a market fit for that? Is Are the resources of where you're working at uh, will allow you to, to reach your goals? Uh, stage number two is survival, right? And that's part of, you know, I have a germ of an idea. It's, it's kind of working a little bit. Can I get to a successful stage at that? Or am I always going to be living at the margins? Um, Stage three is success. It's like you can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? You're building toward that. You're scaling up. You're, you're finding ways to grow. Stage four is the takeoff. So you're in the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, now it's all about how do I build a team around me? How do I, how do I lever this up even more? How do I, you know, put a focus on a niche or where I'm really successful and kind of leave the un, un, unsuccessful marketing methods, prospecting methods, anything that, that you want to think about, how do I leave that behind and really, really do that? And then stage five is what they call resource maturity. And that's really how do I automate things? How do I get a lot of inbound leads? How do I get people to come to me? How do I become, get that expert, you know, where people are seeking out my advice? So those are the five stages. Let's start with number one, which is, which is existence, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's one of the things that you see with people in stage one, sales rep, new people to the freight industry? So I think the biggest thing, and this this article was great, by the way, and I really liked, and I don't want to jump to the end, but I'm going to jump to the end to answer <laughs> the first. Because at the end, they ask a question that I think most people don't ask of themselves is, what do I need to sustain my life, right? And before mm -hmm. I can answer the first question, existence, that's what I would ask anybody out there listening to this. It's if you've gone through, because a lot of the people we talk to are leaving an industry or they're starting a new business while they're still in an industry. So there's this gap of, well, how are you going to feed your family, yourself or whoever relies on you, right? Even if it's just yourself. And I think in order for you to ask and answer the question, what do I need to exist? knowing that number is so important, right? When we work with somebody new, it's asking them, have you budgeted out the next six months? Have you looked at how you're going to pay your bills? And have you like realistically looked at the time frame to get this to profitable? Because it's at the very least six months to the better part of a year, if not a year and a half, for you to be able to like genuinely rely on this business to pay your bills. And I, I guess any first-time commission-only salesperson or entrepreneur or someone who's striking out their own, the answer to that question is naturally, oh, three, four weeks. Three, four <laughs> weeks, and everything will just come together. This is where you have to manage your expectations appropriately and where reality <laughs> and expectations have the potential to be way off. <laughs> it is. It's like if you could call to the, the, the major leagues, right? You're like, ah. I'll have this game done at this level a week or two. A week or two, and it'll all be uh, smooth sailing from there, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's like showing up to the major leagues thinking that all I got to do is throw strikes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's all simple, I need to do. right? 
Well, and it goes, I think Kevin brought up a good point, right? It's the planning fallacy. All of us as human beings overestimate our abilities and underestimate the time it will take to accomplish anything. So the first thing I always say is overestimate your time by 25 to 50% and then add another 25% to your budget because things are going to come up you're going to have to pay for that you didn't plan for. Take those two and like to Richie's point, they probably won't converge reality and expectations, but they're going to be a heck of a lot closer than they were when you started. Yeah, it, it makes me think back of, you know, before I got into the business world, I was I was thinking about being a firefighter. So I became an EMT and I, I had an EMT instructor mm -hmm. tell us that in the moment of truth, you will not rise to the level of of your expectations, but you will fall to the level of your training. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of truth there and that, especially when you're starting off a small business, you have these big expectations. I want to rise to these expectations, but when the rubber hits the road, you're going to fall to your level to the level of your training. You are, you, you definitely are. And I or think Richie, that's go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, yeah, to that point, I think that's a great add to this point of existence, even into survival, is that people think that like they're just going to learn these things through osmosis, right? You've got to take time. You have to plan out the amount of time at which you are going to be training. To learn the new business, whether it's the sales, the operations, the, the vocabulary, the terminology, whatever that aspect is. Loved Adam Grant's quote, right? Another guy, another Jim Lair is another big coach that says the same thing. It's not just the amount of time you spend to practice or train. Every athlete pretty much at different levels trains the same amount of time. It's the energy at which they're putting into that time, right? Michael Jordan always said, I practice at the level I want to compete at because that's when I know I can actually turn it on. Most guys go out and just put the time in, and that's why they don't achieve the same accolades as the guy that puts the energy into the time. Yeah, it's like the people that just want to show up, right? Yeah. I, 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 I'm here. I'm a freight broker. I started a job. I'm sitting at my computer. I'm brokering, <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, that's not how it works. Like, you can't, you don't just show up. You have to you have to get after it. And, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot there that, I mean, your, your energy and, and what you bring to the table and the attitude you take into it is, is crucial. Yeah, your, your training, the books that you read, the, the time you spend perfecting your craft, you know, really practicing. I, I read, whenever I started Carryless, I, I, I read um, 10X by, by Grant Cardone, right? And, and some people like Grant Cardone, some people don't. But yeah. 10X was, was a great book because it said, hey, just do everything you can do. Ramp up the activity level level to as far as you can go. And if you fall, fall far below that, you're still better than average. And that's what it takes to, to, to get a, a business or a book of business off the ground is, is to start out with that, that hustle and getting out there, making all those mistakes, right? Because if, even if you, uh, you're starting your own brokerage and you have deep industry experience, so you don't have to worry about you know, how do I get customers or how do I get trucks, which is a question that, that both Ben and I get uh, basically on a daily basis from new people asking about the industry is running your own business is a whole nother set of skills that a lot of people aren't prepared for. And you're going to make your mistakes and that existence and survival phase, which can last, you know, there's two phases can last, you know, two to three years almost because it's a, a long learning period. And I think that's another really good point, right? When you talk about existence or even going into survival, right? I think a lot of people get excited at the low barrier to get into the industry, but also don't take into account the fact that that also means there's a lot of competition 
And you're going to have to beat out your peers to win some of these shippers, whether you're in a W-2 or like you said, you're starting your own brokerage and you're trying to build your own business. The analogy I always go and use is, well, if you were going to learn to be a carpenter, would you start by hanging a shingle and saying, I own a carpentry company, or would you work as a carpenter first? Like you would learn how to use the tools and then you would probably start your business. And I think that's why some of these, some of these questions are, are good to ask and answer yourself before you go and dive in to doing all of these things at one time. It's, it's, it's managing your probabilities and odds, right? And, and to your, I love that you brought to, to the surface there that a low barrier of entry means that there are just hordes of people that are entering that space and you have to be able to differentiate yourself. So what, what steps are you taking that better your odds, you know, and increasing your knowledge base, Kevin, like you were talking about upping your activity level, finding a niche, like you mentioned earlier, you know, like trying to do everything that you can to make your odds as as favorable as possible, it seems like that puts you in the best possible position, then whatever happens is happens. You know, that your <laughs> whatever reality is going to be is what it's going to be. That might not be enough. And that's another reality that you have to come to terms with. Um, but yeah, what, what other, what, what are your thoughts there on additional activities that new brokers can, can engage in to better their odds and their probabilities for success? So I think one of the big things is, and I, I love the way you phrase that too, because the, the larger and more tenured companies we work with, we tend to see a big focus just on the results and on the sales, right? But to your point, rarely, if ever, does a human being control the results of their efforts. We can always control the effort that we output, can almost never control whether or not somebody's going to say yes, and certainly whether or not the market is going to be where it needs to be to service this particular customer at this particular time. So I would say for the people that have been in the industry, focus more on the input. What is your, what is your personal output? What is your activity? How many calls are you making? How many follow-up emails do you send? How many text messages? Varying your approach. One of my favorite um, lines to really drive this home is the average customer is closed between follow-up number eight and 12. But the average salesperson stops after the first to the third follow-up. So if you look at the average person stops at two or three phone calls, but the average successful salesperson makes eight to a dozen, you can very quickly see why some people are successful and why others aren't. I mean, it really is just the amount of output any individual is willing to do at their job in any given day, in most cases. And then sharpening those skill sets, obviously. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and that's a great stat. I think we covered it maybe two or three weeks mm -hmm. ago. We, we had yep. a couple charts showing that, you know, a, a great survey. I can't remember where it's from, uh, but we had a great survey showing that that same statistic. Most salespeople, you know, two calls is a long, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge follow up, right? Extensive follow up for most salespeople. But sales aren't made until the eighth, ninth, tenth, twelfth, thirteenth, two years. And that gets into the other part of survival existence is your cell cycle, knowing your cell cycle. A lot of people that uh, in all industries, right, they, they don't really think about their cell cycle. And certainly if you're, you're going off and, and starting a new job or doing commission only or you're starting your own business, you have to think about your cell cycle because uh, that cell cycle can be much longer than your solvency. And I think the first thing you said, Kevin, really 
struck me too there was I think a lot of people's expectations is that one or two phone calls is going to get them a customer, right? <laughs> and and it, and it is it's kind of tongue in cheek, but the reality is is that's what we see with newer brokers, right? They'll go through a list of 500 leads and call them all once and then go well, like I need another list, where do I find the next list? And it's like that's a lot of wasted energy when you realize like look, that's enough really to probably work through in probably 2 months. And the next question is, how are you using your sales cycle? Because the next thing that I would say to Richie's question is things to make this easier and to allow people to close more business. Very few people really harness a CRM for what it's built to do. Most people use a CRM just to basically keep their notes in there. And at that point, it's really only just a searchable Excel sheet. What they're not doing is putting in their leads and like you said, knowing their sales cycle. Okay, I talked to this guy twice. I'm going to put this call out three days. Let the CRM tell me when to call him, email him, or follow up. I don't need to track that on my own. That's the power of that tool. And we see a lot of new people could really save a lot of time doing just that simple thing. What, yeah. what do you think on, on CRMs? So, you, know, you talk to a lot of new, new operators. Is that really even on the radar? No. And to be honest, I mean, we, we suggest a few of them. To be honest, that when anybody asks me which one to use, I say, make sure that one, you like it. And two, it really needs two basic things to be able to put and save information so you don't have to keep it in your head or on paper. And three, it should be able to set the tasks according to your sales cycle, to your point, right? Knowing, hey, I'm probably going to talk to somebody eight times before I close them. Let's try not to have all eight conversations in 10 days schedule these out and let the system do that for you. And then you can also vary your approaches. So where you're not just calling or just emailing, okay, I called this guy three times. Now I look at my notes. Well, the next one maybe is an email or maybe a text and varying your approaches to see what works. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. You know, Kevin, when, when I'm looking at these stages, I think about snowballs. Yeah, and it is. Stage one, stage one's like, is there snow? <laughs> is there snow? Yeah. Stage two is that snow packable. Yeah. Is it <laughs> can, we, can we, is it sticky? Yeah. Stage three, will it roll? <laughs> <laughs> Stage four, will it roll with momentum? Stage five, will it stay together? <laughs> That's know? great. That is a great analogy. But uh, yeah, it's, I think this is huge. I think this is a great conversation and equipping brokers so that they can get to where the momentum is taking place and they can get up to cruising altitude, right? Uh, yeah. You want to be able to get to cruising altitude. Exit velocity. You know, and, and yeah, and, and get to where you're, you're in something that is moving and gaining momentum and you're needing to hire people. Um, what are your thoughts there, Ben, on like, okay, we're, 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 we, we found out there's snow on the ground, it's packable, we've, we've identified a niche, we have some carriers, now, what do I do to start expanding? You know, what, what, what can I do to grow a, a certain target market or niche market? Or do I want to go out and find a new one and start in, in diversifying my portfolio of business? What, what are your thoughts there? That's, I think that's a great question. And also, I think to the first point of snow, you know, where are you at? Like, is it packable snow is, I think, a very important question for new brokers to ask out there or any broker is, I, I always ask is, what is your qualifying? Like, what do you determine as a qualified prospect? And very few people really put thought into like, what is a good customer for them? And if you can't answer that, what's the likelihood you know whether or not the snow is the kind you want to build a snowball with if you don't know what kind of snowball you want to build? 
it'd be the first question. And then I think when you start talking about growing and scaling, when is the right time to hire or when is the right time to you know bring on the next employee is if you've got enough business that you are no longer able to continue prospecting because you're just managing what you've already sold, that's a big indicator you should be looking at or considering employee number two. Or, and I mean, just some round numbers is usually right around when you're about 16 to 20K a month in GP is about more than what one person can handle. It's about 15 to 20 truckloads a week. You should start considering pretty much bringing somebody on if you're cradle to the grave. Obviously, there's a lot of nuances to how yeah. your company's set up. Yeah, 15, 20 cradle grave is that's a lot. That, that's no interrupted dinners ever for you, <laughs> usually, because some, something's always going wrong, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If we get to stage one and stage two, which is existence and survival, and we're talking to W2s, right? People who are new at a position. What are some of the the, the, the research tools, uh, you know, uh, good signs and, and, and warning signs that, that should be looking out for? Is this company and the resources and the sales process that, that we're doing right now, is, am I going to be successful at this or not? That's another great question. And we get asked that a lot, too, from people saying, you know, reaching out to us. And is this the right fit? It doesn't mm -hmm. seem like I'm progressing through my career. We don't know. And I think that is just a good enough question in and of itself. Are you progressing through your career? Are you continuing to learn things? If you're not, that's probably a big, big flag for me to ask some more questions. The second thing is, are you able to continually grow and scale your business where, where you're at, right? So if every six months, you should be really being able to hit another tier. If your customers are consistent and you don't have big market swings, you should be able to kind of grow about an extra... 2k per person per week or eight a month just for round numbers and if you're not able to because you can't get your loads covered or you can't get information or you can't invoice whatever that is if there's a bottleneck like that's another red flag that you should probably be asking and that's the first question ask your manager like hey actionably like what's being done or what are we doing to try to resolve these things that, that that's great so um I'm just thinking there's so many thoughts going on in my head right now. I feel like we only have a few minutes left and like I have and we come to this this in every conversation. It seems like where I just want to talk for another hour. Or two. Oh, I know. Right. It's, it's hard to, uh, to to come up I, and, and, and do that. But so, so Ben, um, <clears throat> let's see. I, so, so you have a new product coming out. It's a it's a is a playbook. Give, give us the, the name of the. Uh, sure. The, so, yeah. Yeah. We launched it launched last week. It's Freight Broker Basics. And what it is, is it's about a 40 module course that really not only teaches people how to get into brokerage, but I would say if you're within the first two years of your career, we put together a course that also gives you a lot of insight into how the market functions, how the spot market functions versus and a lot of the questions we've asked and talked about in this show as to like, what are the indicators, what you should be doing and um, you know, Nate and I put it together over the past seven months, and I'm really proud of it. I think it, it really hits home in a lot of the areas we tried to. And where can, um, where, where can our audience go and, and find that at? So you should be able to find it at www.freight360.net. There'll be links to it, um, as well as through any of the links to our podcast and through our website, you'll be able to find a link to that as well. And what, one last question for, you know, there may be people listening that might be asking themselves, I wonder if I should start a freight brokerage. And are, are, are there qualities that you've observed that come out in those that are successful 
getting up and running? Are, are there common threads where I've noticed that these qualities seem to keep rising to the top and, and seeing success with freight brokers? That might be helpful to say, if you are X, Y, and Z, or you feel like you fit this mold or have these qualities, maybe you're, uh, you're in a good position to start. I would say competitiveness is one. Like I've always found the people that like the competitive nature of any aspect of their life is a big quality trait. Um, ambition, or in some cases, pain, you know, needing to solve a problem because you just don't have any other options, I think also is a great motivator. Because the great thing about this industry is it does really welcome everybody of every background. I mean, I coach people in other countries that you wouldn't think would be able to, you know, just jump into an industry out of nowhere. And that's what really what has kept me in it so long is that I have a passion for being able to help people genuinely change their lives. And this is a great industry to be able to do it in. Thank you so much for your time today, Ben, uh, co-host of, of uh, Freight Broker 360. And I'll be talking to you guys later on this afternoon, right? Absolutely. We'll be uh, on this afternoon on our show. Looking forward cool. to it, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. Same here. Thank you again, Ben. It's always interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting talking about uh, the progression of a business, right? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter what businesses, no matter what resources you have, it takes time to, to build, build the business, build the brand, go through the mistakes, go through the learning process. Oftentimes, you can condense that with doing a lot of activity and throwing fuel on the fire, uh, but you, it, you can't skip those steps. Yeah, I remember, you know, I, I started a company at one point and um, obviously I'm not there anymore. But, you know, when we were doing all the research around that, um, I asked a friend who had started a very, very successful company. And I uh -huh. said, um, would you do it again? And he, and he said, honestly, and I was like, yeah, of course, honestly. He said, no, <laughs> he's like, yeah. it was way too much work. He was like, this was a roller coaster ride that I don't know, I could, I wouldn't get on the roller coaster again. He was like, it's been nuts. And I was like, you own the number one company in the entire world for the, the, the product, the type of tours you sell. Like, like, you are it. You are the top. And he was like, yeah, I know. I know. I wouldn't. Like, it's, it's been crazy. And, and I think and he was like, but he also came back and said that, you know, he loved it and that uh, he's very, very thankful that he did do it. So there is that, that that contradiction there of like, I wouldn't do it again, but I'm so glad that I did it. <laughs> yeah. Would you do it again? You know, we were only in, in existence for about two and a half years. I think I would because there's things that I learned that I mm -hmm. feel like I didn't, we didn't quite solve it. And the competitiveness in me says I'd want to go back and try again. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. I, 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 I think I probably would do it again. Uh, I, I, I'm just glad I, I know a lot more than I did the first time. Yep. Uh, but there's so much more that I'd probably learn again. Uh, oh, and it's or, hard. Or different lessons, right? It's tough. It is a roller coaster. And uh, it's, it's I, I don't know. There's a caveat there. I'd do it again, but I don't know if I would. Like in reality, in theory, yeah, the competitiveness wants yeah, yeah. to do it again. But in reality, it's like I now have a much clearer picture of everything that's involved to get mm -hmm. a snowball rolling. And um, you have yeah, to be obsessive about it. 
it's a bit daunting. You you yeah. you have some naivety like going into it the first time where you don't you do, know. Yeah. It's like doing an Ironman for the first time. You're like, yeah, let's do it. But whatever you do, you have to be. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then you know, after a couple of days of practice, you're like, ah, eh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, Orman, uh, logistics manager at Halo Trust, been very interesting and professional. I certainly agree. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's. You know, doing it again, it would it would be tough. It, you have to be obsessed about it. I, I think that's that's the main thing. Yep. If you get obsessed about something, it's not really work, and you can just dive right into it. Yep. So uh, I probably have to find something that I was obsessed with, and then I could probably do it. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's tough. But there's a there's a lot of great entrepreneurs out there, and we're going to talk to a few of those tomorrow, Wednesday, yep, June thirtieth is our North American Logistics Tech Summit. And we have a great uh, agenda uh, built in. The, our keynote speaker starts with, he works with seed companies. It's Dynamo, Dynamo Ventures here in Chattanooga, Santosh uh, Sankar. Uh, he's one of the, the partners there. So we had a, a great talk uh, just a couple days ago for this. And uh, it's amazing what technology is popping up in the supply chain. It's mainstream now. It's been a very investable area for five to ten years now it's it's just accelerating that's a whole different type of snow right it is <laughs> it's it, not it just is. starting a brokerage but if you're starting a tech company a lot of opportunity and uh you know a lot of potential and different there, different bumps along the way uh, there are very <laughs> different bumps along the way and finding that product market fit is is always a challenge uh getting that that snow rolling downhill and getting user adoption is as well, uh, we talked about the small and medium business market and kind of the tools and technology, if you're a 3PL, that you need to provide to them. I, I had a, a conversation with Joel Klum from Worldwide Express, who just did a, a merger of equals combined with Global Trans, so that's exciting news as well. But yeah, Joel talks about uh, you know the, the kind of tools and technology that small and medium-sized shippers out there are really needing and how to, to provide those to them. Uh, of course, Ryder uh, talking about their ventures and the, their technology. They're, they're running their own VC within Ryder, investing in, in different technologies. And then P44 talking about visibility, talking about their acquisitions as well. They've been very acquisitive in, uh, in the first half of this year and they're really ramping up. They just did a, a fundraising as well, we do in-cab technologies uh, with Schneider, and also that one-screen solution that freight brokers are always talking about, the logistics world, our very own George Abernathy, president here at Freight Waves, uh, talks to Charles Craig Miller, uh, the CEO of Revanova, and that conversation uh, really touches on AI and machine learning and really practical ways to, to use that. We've been talking about it forever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, machine learning, AI, RPAs, but I think um, I think we're going to start seeing some some really useful tools come out of that that are going to be more mainstream instead of uh, on the edge. Uh, but it's going to be a great conference. You go to live.freightwaves.com to learn more about that, to register. We're giving away great gifts. Uh, and until the next episode of Put That Copy Down, see you guys later. I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading out of work. And I've been shutting out the stars.